How are y'all doing today? Ooh, all right, I'm a little tired out there, huh? A little bit, a little tired. Hey, that's all right, we're going to spice things up a little bit, so we're going to learn a little bit about what God has to say regarding the end of the world, so I hope y'all stay with me. But um, are many of y'all having a good time this summer? You guys getting a little bit of rest? A little bit? Students getting any rest? All right, well, hopefully you will. This is a time to do that in the summer, get a little bit of rest for that. So I'm hoping you guys get some mental and physical rest because I know you need it, and I know you all live in Northern Virginia, and so it's a necessary thing for us. Um, but today, um, I'm going to need your full and undivided attention because we're going to be talking about um, a very fascinating passage in the book of Matthew. And um, it's going to be something that you're going to need to stay with me because there's going to be some, some hard stuff in there, but it's a lot of good stuff. So I'm going to need you to be attentive today. Uh, last Sunday, we saw Jesus simply lay down his messianic hammer down on the Pharisees and scribes because of their great hypocrisy. But in today's passage, it's going to be a tough one because we're going to look and see what biblical preparedness looks like in view of the end. And the end is the end of the world. So I'm going to begin this morning simply by asking you, how would you prepare if you thought the end of the world was near? How would you prepare? What would you do? Would you stockpile weapons? Would you stockpile food and water? Would you cash out your 401k? Would you build a bunker underground? Would you purchase a tank? Would you move to an uninhabited area? Would you hide your expensive belongings? Or would you simply just sit down and cry? Well, if you've seen the popular show on National Geographic, it's called Doomsday Preppers, then you would know that some of these examples that I just gave you, these are not far-fetched at all. And if you're unfamiliar with this show, then listen carefully to this description, because I'm going to describe what this show's about. The show Doomsday Preppers, it explores the lives of otherwise ordinary Americans who are preparing for the end of the world as we know it, whether it's by economic collapse societal collapse, or an electromagnetic pulse, whether it's by terrorist acts, nuclear incidents, fuel shortages, war, pandemics, a geomagnetic reversal, or other natural disasters. This is a show that displays the unique beliefs, motivations, and strategies that preppers rely upon to make sure that they're prepared for any of life's uncertainties. And in this third season of the show, the preppers are testing the limits of ingenuity as they develop extreme doomsday survival machines, high-tech shelters, specialized escape routes, with many customized features, secret, uh, super-secret locations, homespun engineering, and these extreme Armageddon defense systems are simply ready for anything. So if you've seen this show, then you know that um, the extremes that some of these folks go to, um, they can go pretty far. It's because of their fears, right? The fear for the end of the world. Well, what are we going to do? We've got to prepare for the end of the world. So their fears take them to great lengths to do some pretty extreme stuff because they just want to feel prepared. They want to, be, they want to feel like they're in control, especially as danger and trouble nears them. So many of the folks featured on this show, they have either devoted countless years to this prepping or they've spent thousands and in some case hundreds of thousands of dollars on preparing for the end. One guy bought a, uh, bought a helicopter, another guy bought a tank, and another guy bought uh, a couple school buses and outfitted them. And all of this was simply out of a fear that the end was near. 
And that's pretty extreme, right? I don't see many of us doing that. But this kind of pandemic of fear of the end, it is growing. It really is. And so that's why stuff like this is popularized on TV. But let me ask you, though, this morning, that if you thought the end of the world was at hand, how would you prepare? What would you do? How would you get yourself ready, or how would you get your family ready if you thought the end was near? How would you prepare? And so with that question in mind, let's dive into our text this morning. Um, Excuse me, let's go to the Lord's Prayer before we dive into our text this morning, and then I'm going to need you guys to stay with me because we've got some good stuff. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are faithful to your people. You have always provided for your people, Lord, throughout the centuries, and we are thankful that you have provided guidance for us concerning, Lord, these last things. Thank you for being honest with us and letting us know that even though we experience hardships in this life, and as time nears its end, whenever that may be, you are always with us, no matter the trial, no no matter the circumstance. You never said that this life was going to be easy, Lord, but you have promised to be with us, and you have promised to preserve us to the end in our faith. And Lord, we praise you this morning for your covenant faithfulness. Give us ears to hear your word, and Lord, may we apply it in our lives. And the church says, amen. Amen. So as we begin this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 28 this morning. I'm going to be asking you many times to kind of like pull out an invisible camera because I'm going to need you to focus in on certain aspects of our passage, but then I'm going to ask you to step back almost and like put on a wide-angle lens because I'm I'm going to need you all to see a bigger perspective that Jesus is trying to show us. So as we navigate through these difficult words from Jesus, you're going to see why both of these perspectives are needed. We're going to go back and forth, and I'll let you know when we need to do that. But to begin this morning, we're going to need our wide-angle lens, so go ahead, pull those out, because we're going to see a big picture of what God wants to show us this morning, and it's simply this. This is where he's taken us. The first point we're going to look at is the occasion. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. The second point we're going to look at is the beginning of the end, verses 4 through 14. And lastly, the third point that we're going to look at in this passage is called the Great Tribulation, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 28. And for the sake of time, we're going to be reading each section as we get to it in the text. So, if you will, if you have your Bibles or if you have a phone with a Bible app on it, if you would flip to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to look at the first three verses together. This, t- this point is going to be titled, The Occasion. So if you have your Bibles ready, let's read this together in verse 1. Matthew says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he, being Jesus, he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Lord, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. You see, church, what we have here, the beginning of Jesus' sixth discourse in Matthew's gospel, or popularly known as the Olivet Discourse, we have Jesus traveling from the temple where he was last week in our sermon, and now he's traveling to the Mount of Olives. And as he's on his way traveling to the Mount of Olives, Jesus is being asked some very important questions about the temple 
and the end of the world by his disciples. And it is here on the top of the Mount of Olives that Jesus is going to address the disciples' questions. And what an appropriate location, right? To ask them to visualize both some small things and some big things that he's going to prophesy that have to do with Jerusalem, that have to do with the temple, which you can see from the Mount of Olives. And so he's going to call them, stay with me. I'm going to tell you some important stuff. And so what a kind of a cool place it is for him with this view um, to tell them this prophecy. Well, the first issue Jesus addresses, it concerns the temple. Well, Jesus and the disciples, they had just previously left the crowd of people, including the Pharisees and scribes, when they were at the Jerusalem temple, and now they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. And as the disciples are doing that, they look up at the temple, and they're like, Jesus, look how beautiful this temple is. Look how awesome it is. What a marvel it is. And for indeed, it really was. The temple was quite spectacular and marvelous because it had polished limestone walls. It was sheathed in gold leaves, which would glisten in the sun. And it truly was an architectural wonder of the region in that day and age. It was beautiful. But Jesus, not concerned with the temple's beauty or material things at this moment, he takes this opportunity to teach his disciples something more important, the lesson concerning the fate of the temple, but also that which would come at the end. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This statement by Jesus, I'm sure, shocked the disciples because the temple was a center of the Jewish life, as well as Judaism as a whole much like Mecca is to the Muslims, or Walmart or Costco is for many of us who live in Northern Virginia. So how could it be that God would allow this great and beautiful building to be destroyed, the central place of worship to be wiped out? How could this be? Well, Jesus doesn't say exactly why right here in our text, but what he does tell us is that these events are going to come to pass. And he says, you see the disciples thought that these two questions that they're asking Jesus, they thought they were all connected. The things about the temple, the things about the end, and the things about Jesus coming. They thought they were different questions. But actually, they were really trying to ask one long connected question. Because the disciples thought that the fall of the Jerusalem temple meant that it also meant that the Jerusalem was going to fall. And that if Jerusalem fell as a city, well then that must be the end of the world. So if the temple falls... Jerusalem falls, well, then the end of the world must come. So this is what they're thinking when they're asking Jesus these questions. And Jesus, knowing their false assumptions concerning these events, he addressed their misguided questions. And he doesn't say when these things are going to happen. He doesn't say when the temple is going to be destroyed. He doesn't say when the end of the world is going to come. But he tells us how it's going to come about the temple and the end. He tells us how, and we'll see some signs later on. So Jesus answers disciples by describing the signs of the end. And he also gives us a couple ways to be prepared for it as well. So let's look at Jesus' answer to the disciples together. In Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 14. And this is the second point, titled, The Beginning of the End. Please read with me. In verse 4, And Jesus answered them, being the disciples, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, 
but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel in the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You see, what we have here in verses 4 through 14 is Jesus answering the disciples' question. I mean, he says, this is how the end is going to come. He doesn't tell them the date. He doesn't tell them the time. But he says, this is how that the end is going to come. And when this happens, then I will also come back. He says, these are the signs to look for at the end of the world and my second coming. He says, one, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Two, second sign, he says, you're going to hear of many wars and rumors of wars. Third sign, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Fourth sign, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Fifth sign, it says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Six, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Seven, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Eight, lawlessness will be increased. Therefore, the love of many will grow cold. Nine, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, and then the end will come. You see, these are indicators of the end of the world and Jesus' second coming, where he's going to come in splendor, where he's going to come like lightning, where he will come to judge both the living and the dead. But I know as many of you all probably heard that list, many of you are probably going down the checklist, yep, that happened. Yep, that's happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've seen that. And I simply want to just say, I want to stop you there and say that I don't want you to be a prisoner of the moment, right? Because there's been folks like Harold Camping who thought all of these signs were happening now and that the end of the world was going to happen like tomorrow or the next year. And I would say, don't be a prisoner of the moment because these things have also been happening for a while, okay? And I'm going to give some examples in just a little bit of of how these things have been increasing, how they've been happening. But I want to say this because Scripture doesn't tell us really when the end is going to come. It says nobody knows the hour or the day when the Lord is going to come. Only God the Father truly knows the day and time when His Son will come back. And you know what? God the Father, He's not telling us when that's going to be. But He does tell us some things to look for as time increases. So what we do know is that these signs that we were just talking about, these will precede the end. And these signs, which Jesus has named, they've been occurring throughout history. And so that's why I'm calling us really not to just panic and to go to extreme ways like our preppers, like I gave examples of before. 
Because if you place your faith and trust in yourself and knowing how to prepare, that faith is severely misplaced. And I want to provide you guys just four brief examples to prove my point that these signs, they have been occurring throughout history since Jesus has ascended into heaven. And I hope that will provide kind of a sense of perspective for you regarding these signs and as they increase. So, one of the first signs that's been continually kind of happening since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, well, the first one says, many have come, or many will come, claiming to be Jesus Christ. Well, there have been many people throughout history who've claimed to be Christ, and I'm just going to give you two examples of those two folks who've been claiming to be Christ. You've got Arnold Potter from 1804 to 1872. He was a schismatic Latter-day Saints leader, um, one of the prominent Mormon leaders. And he claimed to be that he claimed that the spirit of Jesus entered into his body, and therefore he became the Potter Christ, son of the living God. Well, this individual he died in an attempt to ascend into heaven by jumping off a cliff, and so clearly this was not the Savior to come. Another individual who claimed I am the Christ, a guy named Jim Jones, and who started some ministry, and it really was, um, unfortunately, something that led to a cult from the 1930s to the late 1970s. He founded a group of people called the People's Temple, which started off as an offshoot of a mainstream Protestant sect before they came a cult. But he claimed, Jim Jones, claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus in the 1970s. And this is where you've heard of the Jonestown Massacre, if you're familiar with that, where there was an organized mass suicide by 909 people because they thought he was Christ and they believed him. And so they drank the Kool-Aid, which was actually filled with cyanide, and it killed 909 people. And later he shot himself after that. So this clearly wasn't the Christ, but he claimed to be. Another example, there have been many wars and rumors of wars. That's a sign. Well, there have been many wars throughout history, right? I'm just going to give you a list of a couple, but you can fill in the blanks of many more wars that have happened, or rumors of wars. In 642 AD, you've got the Muslim conquest of Egypt and Persia. 804, you've got the Saxon Wars. In the 11th through 13th century, you've got the First, Second, and Third Crusades. In 1340 through 96, you've got the Bulgarian and Ottoman Wars. You've got the French and Indian War. You've got Civil War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam War. I mean, you could just keep going with all the list of wars, right? Or all the rumors of wars that have happened. And you could see that this has been occurring throughout time. But it's also been increasing, too. The third sign, Jesus says, is there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Well, I'm just going to list a few major earthquakes or famines that have happened to see that this isn't just happening now, but it has been occurring through time. One earthquake happened in 1556 in Shenzhi, China, where there was 830,000 people who died because of an earthquake there. In 1923, in Japan, there was an earthquake that killed 143,000 people. In 800 to 1000 AD, there was a great famine that essentially collapsed the Mayan civilization due to a famine. And in 1601 through 1603, one of the worst famines in all of Russian history happened, occurred almost right there in Moscow as well, and killed 100,000 people in Russia. So you can see these signs, they've been, they have happened in the past, and they're continuing to happen, just as Jesus said they would. 
The fourth sign that's been continually happening is that many false prophets have arose and they've been leading many astray. I'm only going to list two, but you could probably think of many other false prophets who have led people astray. You think of Muhammad, the Muslim prophet, right? He's led billions of people astray from the gospel. You think of people like Joseph Smith, right? The prophet for the Mormons who in 1827 received the golden tablets. And thousands, hundreds of thousands of folks have been led astray. These things have been happening throughout history. And they're also increasing. But I want you to say, don't be a prisoner of the moment. Because these things have been happening. So you don't need to panic right this moment. But I want you, do you see what I'm saying? I could keep kind of going on and showing you more historical examples of how this stuff has been happening. And how these things have increased as uh, it's been, there's been time since Jesus ascended into heaven. But what Jesus is saying is, he says, these types of signs will increase in severity before the end will come. These things are going to increase. Therefore, I'm reminding all of you, don't be a prisoner of your moment, because nobody knows the hour or the day that I will come. But these will be signs that will come before my end. So don't try to look for the end, because it's going to be really hard to judge when that's going to be. Instead, Jesus says, prepare in the ways that I tell you to prepare for the end. Because nobody does know the hour or day that I will come. Because the end could be tomorrow, it could be 5,000 years from now. We don't know when that's going to be. But what we do know is that many more Christians will be martyred. There will be more folks led astray from the gospel. More nations will rise up in time and cause thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands more to die. More natural disasters will occur. And you can see some of this, especially with the wars and rumors of wars. Things like are happening in Syria, Afghanistan, Sudan, and even now in Iraq. You can see this stuff is happening. And it's continuing. And it's proving Jesus' words to be true and trustworthy. And the point of all of this is to show that as followers of Jesus Christ, we should expect an intensity of hardship. We should expect suffering, evil, and war for whenever the end nears. This is going to continue. This is the world we live in, the broken world. But he also wants to keep in perspective that these signs have been occurring throughout history and they will intensify. And so he's asking us, be wise in how you prepare yourself, how you prepare your family for the end. Because Jesus doesn't talk about this stuff for no reason. It's in your Bibles because it's important. And Jesus wants you to know this. You're going to prepare the Bible's way or you're going to prepare your own way. Jesus also tells us that the one who endures to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Jesus is telling there's going to be a lot of suffering that's going to happen, but there's going to be a lot of good news also spreading throughout the world. A lot of good news. The gospel is going to be triumphantly proclaimed throughout all of the nations, throughout the whole world. There's going to be hearts of stone. They're going to be turned to flesh. Lives are going to be transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And millions and billions will place their faith in Jesus Christ. And this has been happening since Jesus has ascended. And it's going to continue to happen. Times will be hard, but the gospel will go forth. And there will be good news proclaimed to all nations. And then the end will come.
There will be an increase of pain, but there's going to be an increase of joy. And the gospel is going to go forth in powerful ways. Jesus doesn't tell us or the disciples when he will come back. But he does ask us, though, to put on our wide-angle lens and see all of these signs that they prove his words to be true and that these will increase until the end comes. These signs confirm the scriptures to be true and they will continue to confirm your scriptures to be true and trustworthy. And it's with this knowledge of what Jesus is telling us that he asks you to prepare his way. He asks you to endure. And if you do, you'll be saved. You'll have joy in this life and peace. And you'll have eternity with God the Father and the life to come when we die. And so he says, this is how we prepare God's way. Jesus asks us to prepare in two different ways. The first one is this. See that no one leads you astray. And two, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So the first way Jesus tells us to prepare is to not be led astray. Well, what does he mean by not being led astray? Jesus is simply saying, do not believe anything other than the gospel. Don't put your faith, your trust, your hope in anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because many false Christs, many false prophets and false teachers will come and they will spew their false teachings and many people will be deceived. Think of how many people have been deceived by the prophet Muhammad. Think how many people have been deceived by Joseph Smith or L. Ron Hubbard, or prosperity gospel teachers, or even Oprah's latest and greatest New Age spiritualists like Eckhart Tolle or Elizabeth Lesser. We're talking tons of folks have been deceived already. It's because they didn't know the Bible well. They didn't know the gospel is true, and they didn't hold on to that. And so Jesus is telling you, be prepared, because people will come. They will teach you things that are not true. They will teach you things that seem reasonable, that seem rational. Maybe they seem kind of cool, or maybe they're refreshing, and they are enticing, right? Maybe to the unregenerate mind, but to our minds, those who love Jesus, who know the scriptures, who rely on his scriptures. He says that you are to be filled with godly doctrines, godly teachings, so that you will be able to identify false teachings and not be led astray. Well, so how do we do this? How do we not be led astray? You read the scriptures for yourselves. You have the Bible. Read it. Another way we do this is we come to church. Because hopefully at church you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to learn about God. You're going to learn about Jesus. How awesome is he? And you're going to learn about his wonderful doctrines. He also, another good way, to come to Sunday school because you're going to get good biblical teaching. And I know it's early. But if you get up and come to Sunday school, it is well worth it because you're training your minds the way God wants your minds to be trained. And you're preparing the way God wants you to be prepared. And another way is to get involved in a community group, in a small group, become a member here or another church body to get plugged into the church. Because we need the gospel we need these biblical doctrines because it's easy to be led astray in this world and to think things that aren't true. And so we need to be reminded of what is true, and we find that in Scripture. The Lord is reminding you it's not okay to say the Bible's too hard to read or too hard to understand. 
So I'm just going to let other people tell me about that. If that's you, then I'm going to tell you this. Be warned and may be very easy to lead you astray. Secondly, Jesus tells us to prepare for the end by not being alarmed about the trials and hardships that are going to come. Jesus says, essentially, I'm telling you to believe what I'm telling you and, and know that these trials and hardships, they will increase. And when these trials come, they should increase your faith, not shake it. Because Jesus knows that when many of us experience hard times, trials, he knows that our faith in God is shaken. Where is God in this trial? Where was he then? He knows that we can be rocked back and forth by severe trials that happen. And so he's saying and telling us, this stuff's going to happen. Be prepared. Don't let this stuff shake you. Let it strengthen your faith because I told you it's going to happen. And when it happens, it will prove my words to be true. So no, there will be hardships in the Christian life and in difficulty that will come. And church, this is a hard message to hear, but it's a true message. Jesus is equipping us with knowledge so that our faith can be strengthened. And that's exactly what he's doing for the disciples when he tells them about this great tribulation that is going to come. And this is going to be the third section of our text that we're going to look at this morning, which is going to address both the temple and the end of the world. And so I'm going to ask you guys to focus in, but also step back um, to see the big picture, what Jesus is trying to do as he gives us um, a pretty big prophecy about the Great Tribulation. So let's take a look at Matthew 24, verses 15 through 28. And let's read this together. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may, be in the, may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not seen from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For the false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus begins this, this section of our text with a prophecy that comes from the book of Daniel. And he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, then I'm telling you those who are in Jerusalem flee to the mountains. Okay, that's what you are to do. And as students and read, you know, as readers and students of God's word, scripture is really calling us to use both lenses here because this prophecy has something for, you know, the imminent time for um, the disciples and their generation, but it also has words for the future. Things are going to come at the end. 
for the abomination that causes desolation, it can refer to the temple of Jerusalem that's destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, or it can also be referring to the eschatological defilement and destruction that's caused by the man of lawlessness, kind of this antichrist figure that we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so it's really pointing to both. But for our purposes this morning, we're really just going to focus in on more of the temporal aspect regarding the temple. For Jesus is letting the disciples know that the destruction of the temple is imminent. This is going to come soon. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke kind of clarifies this portion of the prophecy when Luke records Jesus saying this, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea, let them flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let those who are out in the country not enter it. Jesus is literally saying, when, in this generation, when you see an occupying force coming to destroy Jerusalem, run for the hills. Because if you don't heed my words, you will die or you will be captured. And if that day comes in the winter of the Sabbath, there may be extra hardships that need to be endured. So I need you to be prepared to leave at any notice. Anytime you see this happening, you need to be prepared to leave. Because... The Roman general Titus, he actually encircled the city and began the siege of Jerusalem. We see this and we see it accomplished in 70 AD where it was finished, where you see Jerusalem being sacked, you see the temple being destroyed because the temple was set on fire by Roman soldiers where they tore apart the stone to get the melted gold. And then the Jews, they actually fled to the hills. And those who listened to Jesus and they listened to him, well, they lived. And those who didn't, they were captured, and most of them died. But Jesus isn't just finished with his prophecy here because he has much more to say about the destruction, more than just the destruction of the temple, but he also has words of warning about a great period of suffering that will precede the end. And this is where you need a wide-angle lens again because Jesus says in verses 21 through 22, there will be a great tribulation. Such has not come before the beginning of the world until now. And no, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human beings would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. For the sake of those who have been predestined to be chosen to be God's people, the days of suffering before the end of the world, they will be shortened. And church, that's good news because we're reminded here that God is in total control even when there's death and destruction all around. He's in full control. And you know, we don't know necessarily why things happen to happen this way. We don't know why it has to happen in this sequence of events. But you know what? We can trust that God is full of mercy, He's full of justice, and God is good. He knows the end, and He's going to be with us every step of the way. Jesus reveals some of His mercy by saying that if He hadn't cut the day short, no human being would have been left at the end. And honestly, I have no idea what that level of death and destruction is going to look like, but it seems like a pretty bleak picture, doesn't it? What that also means regarding the end is that there is no surety that Christians will be raptured up into heaven before the great torment will occur. Quite the opposite really seems to be true, that Christians will suffer much before the end. 
And not only will it be great suffering, there will be great deception. Because in verses 23 we see, if anyone says to you, look, here is a Christ, there he is. Jesus says, don't believe it. He says, false Christs, false prophets, they will come and they will deceive many. See, I have told you beforehand, so do not go out. Do not believe them. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be. The main point Jesus is making is that it will be impossible to miss Jesus' second coming. Because the Messiah is not going to come back in a secretive manner, only to his followers, only to his disciples. Rather, the Son of Man is going to come back in a spectacular manner, like lightning that is visible to all people on the earth. So therefore, don't listen to anyone who claims to be Christ. Do not go looking for the Christ, because he will not be found. Because when Christ truly does come, he will reveal himself to all people when the time is right. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Every eye shall see him. And so I tell you, be prepared. For there will be those who try to deceive you. But those of us who are filled with God's Spirit, who know his scriptures, we will not be led astray. Church, you are being called this morning to be different to live differently, to prepare differently than the rest of the world. Jesus is calling you, his children, to prepare in such a way that as you will not be led astray, generations after you, your children will not be led astray. And none of you will be alarmed at the trials to come. Because biblical preparedness is knowing who the true Messiah is and having a deep and intimate relationship with him regarding excuse me, is having a deep and intimate relationship with him. That means also then reading and listening to his scriptures, right? But also means living in a consistent way with his teachings. So that means like when we stockpile weapons, when we gather first aid equipment, we have tons of medications, food and water, this stuff is only going to provide us a false sense of security. It really will. It's not going to prepare you for the end. Only Christ can. The reality is, is someone could steal all that stuff. Somebody could take it, somebody could burn it, your bug out location could be compromised, whatever vehicle that you have planned to use could be rendered useless for a number of reasons. The point that Jesus is saying here is when the trials come, folks, trusting in yourself or material things, they will not prepare you for the end, they will not keep you safe. And this life or the next The only security that you have in this life is knowing Jesus Christ. And the way you get to know Jesus Christ is by spending time in his word. That might sound corny, but it's true. You got to spend time in his word. That's what we do as believers. Because there's life in God's word. It will change your heart. It will prepare you. It will speak truth to you. You know, the greatest prep that you could ever obtain is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because Jesus provides for his children when they need it and in the times that they need it. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean trials are not going to come because they will. But Jesus will provide for you what you need when you need it and in the time that you need it because Jesus is good and his resources are inexhaustible. And that's good news for us, church. And in closing, Matthew reminds us of this truth in 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And this is where Jesus says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, Well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." church, if you want to prepare for the end like Jesus is calling you to, spend time in his word. Come to church. Hear his word. Apply it. Live it out. And let it sink in deep. Because it's true, it's good, is the only hope that you have in this life or the next. And Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters in this life and in the life to come. Jesus is good. Church says, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful and true. Lord, you are good. Lord, this is not an easy passage to take in. Lord, because there are going to be many difficulties that are going to come. Many difficulties that we will experience in this life. And there will be many trials, many hardships that will come at the end of the world. Whenever that may be. But Lord, you have told us these things will happen. They will occur. And you have, Lord, given us your scriptures, these wonderful 66 books, Lord, of your Bible that prepare us for the end, that give us hope, that give us life. Thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. Thank you for your word. Thank you for going to the cross to save us so that when the end does come, Lord, we will have hope amidst all the trials and hardships that there will be. Lord, your words are trustworthy and true. And we thank you, Lord, that you have prepared us for what is to come. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your scriptures. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.